They say you have three names. The one you inherit from your family. The one your parents gave you. And the one you make for yourself. So create the brand of you. Find the job you've always dreamed of and make it yours by going to Irish Jobs, Ireland's online recruitment platform. Take control of your career. Visit irishjobs.ie and move up to the next level you. Irish Jobs. Make a name for yourself. Time now for Rocky Jordan. Not far from the Mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, the St. Louis Blues. I was trying to wake up over a second cup of coffee in my cafe tambourine, glancing through the morning paper. A picture on the front page didn't mean much at first, but a second look and I recognized the face. It was Ted Polanski, an old friend. I hadn't seen him since the early days in St. Louis. The printing underneath brought me wide awake. U.S. naval hero found lying near the Mahudea Canal with knife in back, victim of an attempted murder. Victim seemed unable to identify assailant. No relatives or friends to be found. Polanski was taken to the Cairo General Hospital. Well, maybe I was just curious, or maybe I wanted to recall old times. Anyhow, I went to the hospital right away to see Polanski. The nurse showed me into a hot little room that had an overhead fan. I found Polanski's bed behind a screen. Hello, Ted. Rocky Jordan, remember me? I remember you. It's been a long time, Ted. All right, it's been a long time. What about it? Well, I'm just sorry you didn't look me up when you came to Cairo. I'd have warned you they play rough with knives around here. I don't need your help. You or the cops or anybody else. What do you want with me? Well, not a thing, Ted. Then leave me alone. Listen, Ted, I know my way around Cairo a little. I don't know what this is all about, but somebody tried to kill you. Maybe if you told me... Why don't me... you mind your own business? I've got nothing to tell you. Okay, if you don't want to. Am I asking you why you left St. Louis? We'll skip that. Then shut up about me. Just leave me alone. Get out of here. That suits me fine, Polanski. Don't bother to come back. I took a good long walk to cool off. Ted Polanski had changed a lot, and that was his affair. That's what I told myself. So I tried shaking him out of my mind. Too many times you try remembering things, and then you get hurt. I was behind the bar at the tambourine early that afternoon when I had a visitor. And for the second time that day, my mind went into reverse. She was American, smartly dressed, but not too much, with just a touch of platine and a soft, clean face like something I'd known before. Mr. Jordan, I'm Mrs. Saunders, Cora Saunders. What can I do for you, Mrs. Saunders? I believe you were at the hospital this morning to see Ted Polanski. That's right. 
I'd like to ask a favor of you, Mr. Jordan. Look, before you go any further, I'll tell you I don't know who tried to kill him or why. I just happened to drop in and see him, that's all. You're a friend of his? Uh, I was once, back in St. Louis. I'm from St. Louis, too. Well, lots of people are. I'm, I, I'm sorry I'm bothering you, but I've got to know about Ted. Why? I was once his wife. Sit down, Mrs. Saunders. Thank you. Why not go and talk to him? I wanted to. I've been trying all day to see him, but he won't talk to me. What makes you think he'd talk to me? I was hoping he would, Mr. Jordan. Ted and I were very happily married before the war, but the war seemed to change him. Yeah, wars have a way of doing that. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was that episode in the Mediterranean, but Ted never came home to me and our child, Linda. That was five years ago. I've never seen him since. Maybe you ought to keep it that way. I was able to trace him for a while, the Riviera, Casablanca, Alexandria, but it was as though Ted had turned his back on everyone who had ever meant anything to him before. I... I couldn't wait forever. I, I divorced him and married Evan. All right, you got a husband. Why don't you forget about Polanski? You know things aren't that easy. Yeah. Did you uh, come to Cairo to see Ted? Oh, no, Mr. Jordan. My husband is here on business. He's in textile. He's here to organize a company, a new cotton process, I believe. I had no idea Ted was here until I saw the paper. Mr. Jordan, would, would you please get Ted to let me talk to him? Oh, sorry, lady. I don't have any drag in that direction. Oh, but Mr. Polanski Jordan, doesn't I... want to see me, and I don't want to see him. Let's keep it that way. Please, think it over, Mr. Jordan. I'll be back later this evening. I'm certain that what I'm trying to do is best... Well, I watched Cora leave and tried to wash the thing out of my mind. But somehow I kept thinking of Polanski and kept wondering what would make a guy foul up his life. Trading a sweet little number like Cora and a kid for a knife in the back. Well, my day had been ruined already, so I knocked off and went over to the U.S. Embassy to ask the naval attaché a few questions. Well, there's plenty here on the files about Polanski. Not that I have to look it up. You mean he's been in Cairo before? Yeah, off and on. You say you knew him back in the States? Yeah, quite a while ago. What do you got on him? Yeah, here we are. Sit down, Jordan. Thanks. Now, let's see. Uh, Theodore Robert Polanski, Lieutenant Junior Grade. Decorated March 7th, 1945. Heroism over and above the call of duty. Delayed parachute jump from burning reconnaissance plane to save valuable photographs which enabled allies to advance on a broad front at minimum loss of life. Anything wrong with that? For a guy like Polanski, yes. Got too loaded down with metals. He cracked up under the strain. I, I still don't get it. Well, look at it this way, Jordan. Polanski's just a nice guy from the Middle West with a wife and kid. He goes off to war and suddenly he's a hero. Headlines everywhere, big shots hanging ribbons on him, dames with soft shoulders falling all over him. And went Hollywood, you might say. Well, that's the way we figured it. He began to like it too much. So now he's a celebrity. Couldn't he be forced to go back home? We tried. But when a guy gets that big, he can pull strings. Oh, his wife almost drove us nuts for a while. But she's lucky to be rid of him. He's gone from bad to worse, knocking around in scrapes with the police, women, and now they find him on the streets with a knife in his back. Yeah, that brings me up to date. You got any idea why someone would try to kill him? I don't follow him that closely. Well, thanks. I'll be seeing you. Well, I left the U.S. Navy going through a racing form of some sort and went out into the street. One of the big questions the naval attaché couldn't answer, why the knife in Polanski's back? I was working on that, 
walking up the Sharia Nauru, scouting for a taxi, when a shiny red car with plenty of chrome pulled up to the curb. The back door opened just a little. Step over, Jordan. I knew the native in front with a gun was covering for the voice that came at me from the back seat. The voice must have had a face, but I couldn't see it. All I saw was a shoe wearing spats and a hand filing fingernails. Been keeping busy, Jordan. With my business? Maybe I don't like your business. Forget it, then. Wait, Jordan. We going somewhere? That all depends. Well, let me know when you decide. That's up to you, Jordan. You've been having a lot of conversations today. I know a lot of people. Like Ted Polanski? Maybe. You had quite a talk with him at the hospital. All sorts of questions. He's an old friend. Polanski's got no friends. I'm way ahead of you. What did he tell you? Nothing. Let's keep it that way. He don't want you talking to him. Neither do I. About what? Keep away from him, Jordan. Stop asking people questions that don't concern you. If I don't? You know what'll happen. Come here, Jordan. Little closer. Yeah? Here's a sample. He gave the door a quick shove right into my face. I went back and down like a kingpin in a bowling alley. My breath was gone, and for a second I couldn't move. When I got my eyes open again, there were a million sleek red cars pulling away from the curb. Cars that finally narrowed to one and roared down the street and out of sight. And I knew right then and there, Ted Polanski was a hot article. You are listening to the St. Louis Blues, tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. The day of miracles is not done, and one way to work miracles today without leaving your home is to contribute to your Red Cross. Your contribution will go out doing the yeoman service to your fellow humans that you would like to do yourself but cannot. Your contribution will perform miracles of aid for the homeless, the wounded, the hungry. Send your contribution out today to work miracles. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan, the St. Louis Blues. When I learned an old St. Louis friend named Ted Polanski turned up in the hospital after a knifing, he didn't want to see me or anybody else, including his former wife. That was the end of the line for me, till a man with a homemade manicure and spats moved in and warned me to lay off Polanski. Advice like that just doesn't sit well with me. I was back at the tambourine patching up my face when Chris told me I had company. When I came down, I spotted him at one of the tables, slightly bald, friendly face. Before he introduced himself, I knew who he was. Cora's husband, Evan Saunders, St. Louis. Mr. Jordan. Here you are. Now we can hang the phone up again. We will return to the file on the unwelcome guest in just a moment. 
Meanwhile, let me tell you about an incident that might have happened at the drugstore just around the corner from your house. This week at the Equitable Society, one of the executives told me a story. He was treating his little girl to a chocolate malted down at Sam McGuire's drugstore, and the kids were having great fun watching Sam juggling glasses, putting on a show for the kids. Sam, he said, someday you'll miss, and there go your profits. I won't miss, Sam said. The kids would lose faith in me. I've got to be good. Well, if Sam the soda man has to keep faith with children, what about us who work for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States? The safety and soundness of Equitable Society policies are responsible for all the joy there is. in a lot of children's lives. Yes, the big job of thousands of equitable society policies is keeping homes together and boys and girls in school. Maybe that will help you understand why we of the equitable society take our business so seriously. Why we make every effort to keep ahead of the times. To keep our life insurance policies fitted to the needs of all equitable society members. You see, all of us in this society, we all want to be able to keep on saying that this week and every week for more than 86 years, the Equitable Society has been building security for you, your home, and your country. And now back to the FBI file, The Unwelcome Guest. Roughly speaking, criminals can be divided into two classes, those who suffer from an inferiority complex and those who have inflated egos. The criminal with the inferiority complex takes to a life of crime because he does not feel equipped to make his living by ordinary methods. Those others, like Leonard Parker, suffer from too exalted an opinion of themselves, an opinion which makes it beneath their dignity to work for a living. That class is the group which practices extortion because it gives them a peculiar pleasure to see their victims squirm, a peculiar pleasure to see their victims lose their every shred of personal dignity. Leonard Parker, through brutal assault, now rules the Fulton household. What are you doing? I'm just going to move this husband of yours. Where are you taking him? I think I ought to move him to a bed so he'd be comfortable. Well, I'll call the doctor. No, you won't. Oh, but he's badly hurt. Look, I slugged a lot of guys like this. Nothing happens. They get a headache and then they get over it. I insist that we call a doctor. Shut up. Oh. I'm giving the orders around it. You got any ideas about calling the cops? Forget them. And uh, one more thing. John said something about the FBI calling. If they call again... You tell him there's no such person here as Leonard Parker, that you never heard of anyone with that name, that your husband left town on a business trip. Very well. And if you remember all those answers, nothing more will happen to John. Is that a deal? Yes. Yes, it's a deal. (laughs) 
as John Fulton was being dragged to his bedroom, a black sedan was being parked in front of the Fulton home. A black sedan which had carried Special Agents Beckley and Preston from New York. They walked across the snow-covered lawn, past the garage, up the few steps to the front door, and rang the bell. This must be the house. Yeah. Yes? Good evening. Are you Mrs. John Fulton? That's right. My name is Beckley. I'm a special agent of the FBI. Oh. And this is Mr. Preston, who's also an agent. Here are our credentials. Well, uh, what can I do for you, gentlemen? Is Mr. Fulton at home? No, I'm sorry, he's not. I, uh, just came back from driving him to the station. Where'd he go? Uh, uh, to New York. Oh, I see. When do you expect him back? Tomorrow night. Uh, Mrs. Fulton... Your husband got a telephone call the other night from a gentleman named Leonard Parker. Well, he, he may have. Do you know Mr. Parker? No. He must be a business acquaintance. I see. You don't remember hearing your husband mention Mr. Parker's name, do you, Mrs. Fulton? No. No, I don't. But then my husband and I never discuss his business. Uh, one more thing. Yes? Can you tell us where Mr. Fulton is going to spend the night in New York? No, I'm sorry. I, I can't. Well, thank you. We'll drop by tomorrow night when Mr. Fulton returns. I'll tell him you called. Thank you. Goodbye. 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 That story about Fulton being driven to the station is a phony. Yes, I know. I noticed the same thing you did. There isn't a fresh mark in the snow in front of the garage. Mm. I think we ought to go into the village, get a search warrant, and come back here. <laughs> Okay, Emma. And I'm real proud of you. I didn't do it for you. I know that. What do we do now? Why? Well, you heard them. They're coming back here tomorrow night. Let them come. Uh, where are you going? I'm going in to see John. Sit down. No. Sit down. I, I got to figure out something. You don't think I'm going to be here waiting for those coppers to come back tomorrow night, do you? What are you going to do? We're going to drive into New York. We leave in about a half an hour in your car. They know your car in this town. They won't stop it. You'll drive. And what about John? He stays here. Oh, no. Look, he's got to stay. He's dead. <gasps> That's the third time I've rung this thing. The car's gone. She must have left. Look, if she doesn't answer this time, let's move in. We've got the warrant. Let's move in now. Hello? Hello in here? Sounds like nobody's home. Yes. They can't have been gone long. There's still a cigarette burning in the ashtray. They sure left in an awful hurry. Why? Looking in the kitchen. What's that? Something's still cooking in the stove. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see what's in this room over here. Right. Hey. Yes, I see him. Well, I don't know who he is, but my guess is that it's Fulton. Looks as if he died about an hour ago. That means he was dead when we were here before. Yes. That also means that Parker must have had the drop on her when she was talking to us. More than likely. Hey, look at the sleeve of this coat here. Hmm? Oh. What about it? These spots are old blood stains. 
do. You think they might be Parker's? Well, let's take a look inside the pocket. Here's a label with a name. That's not Parker's. Fulton's? No. The name is Ralph Cousins. Cousins. Let's call the tailor and find out who Mr. Cousins is. Right. And send out an alarm on the Fulton automobile. Right. I think Mr. Parker has finally run into a red light. See, I thought this out a thousand times, so we're pretty well prepared. Uh, in the apartment house where I live, I'm a respected businessman named Ralph Cousins. Remember that? Why? Because when we go in, if you mention my name, call me Ralph or Mr. Cousins. Forget that Leonard Parker business. When are you going to let me go? As soon as we leave my apartment. What are you slowing down for? This is where I show you how to steal a car. What? First we park here. Now, see that car up ahead? Yes. See the boy and girl sitting in the car? Yes. And you walk up there and ask the boy if he'll come back and give you a hand. No. Tell him you're stuck. No. Do as I say. Because if you don't, you'll be very, very dead. <laughs> This is where I live. Get out. You were nice enough to have me as a guest at your place? Now I'll return the gun. It's this ground floor apartment. Here we are. Wait till I turn on the lights. Stay where you are, Parker. What? Who are you? The FBI. That's right, Mrs. Fulton. Oh, my name is Ralph Cousins, not Parker. Either one will do. Just stand still while I remove this gun. Okay. You win. But tell me one thing. What is it? How'd you know I was Ralph Cousins? Remember the suit you were wearing when you arrived at Fulton's? Yeah, sure. That pepper and salt job? It had your name inside. That suit is going to convict you for murder. You know something? I always liked that suit, too. Leonard Parker was tried on a charge of murder, convicted, and sentenced to death in the electric chair. He was right when he said that you can't be too careful. Especially if you're a criminal whose path crosses that of the FBI. John Fulton's life might have been spared if he had followed the simple instructions issued by the FBI. Criminals cannot be defeated by ordinary, decent, law-abiding citizens unless those citizens avail themselves of the help that lies at the other end of every telephone line. The Federal Bureau of Investigation. Remember that. 
The reign of terror which struck at the home of John and Emma Fulton could have struck at your home. If it ever does, remember that the FBI works on a 24-hour-a-day schedule, a schedule which continues to prove beyond any doubt that crime does not pay. Before we tell you about next week's thrilling case from the files of your FBI, a word about a man worth knowing, the Equitable Society representative in your community. To your FBI, you look for national security, and to the Equitable Life Assurance Society for the financial security of life insurance. In the past 86 years, the Equitable Society has weathered four wars and seven major depressions. During that time, over five and one-half billion dollars have been paid to policyholders and beneficiaries. This tower of strength, security, and stability is represented in your community by a man whom hundreds of your fellow citizens know as their good friend. The Equitable Life Assurance Society representative who, like your FBI, is dedicated to the protection of you, your home, and your country. Next week, we will bring you another colorful story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, The Sinister Souvenir. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are taken from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was under the direction of Frederick Steiner, the author was Jerry Lewis, and your narrator was Dean Carlton. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. Now this is Carl Frank speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at the same time for this is your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. We've been working on this, though. This doctor's car is pretty hot by now. I think we should work out an exchange. Special Agent Taylor. Hello there. This is Sergeant Burbank, State Police. Oh, hello, Sergeant. I worked with you last year on the Collins case. 
Oh, yes. Yes, I remember you very well. Well, what's on your mind, Sergeant? Well, I understand that you fellows are interested in this uh, man Middleton who escaped from the county jail. Yes. Yes, we certainly are. We have a detainer on him. Well, we located the car that he used in the prison break. It was found on the outskirts of Quincy. Abandoned? Yes. Any sign of Middleton and the other convict? No, but a second car was stolen right near the place where they left the first one. Evidently decided to change cars and take some of the heat off. Yeah. Oh, Sergeant, has an alarm been sent out on the second car? Yes, it has. But they may have gotten quite a start. According to the owner, it could have been stolen any time within the last four hours. Mm-hmm, I see. Well, if we come up with anything, Jim, I'll call you immediately. All right, thanks, Sergeant. Goodbye. Here we are. This is really hidden away, all right. Uh, let's get out on your side. Oh, okay. What do we do with the car? Just leave it here for now. Look. Oh. <laughs> the lamp in the window. That's Mother's touch. She's such a sentimentalist. You mean what? I dragged him back down to the square and turned him over to a cop, along with a message to Captain Sam Sabaya. Then I was on my way to the Athens Hotel. Vance Marco had a big suite on the fourth floor front. I was about to knock when the door opened. Marco was inside with a couple of his men, and coming out was Evan Saunders. Well, Mr. Jordan, I, I didn't expect to see you here. Oh, I bet you didn't, Saunders. Uh, Mr. Marco, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you in my suite at the National Hotel tomorrow morning. Goodbye, Mr. Saunders. Goodbye, uh... Goodbye, Mr. Jordan. Yeah. I still don't like your face, Jordan. You did your best to change it. I was just giving you a friendly tip. It didn't take, did it? I forget easy. You got a couple of muscles for help. Want to try again? Maybe I will. What's on your mind, Jordan? Great big deal, Marco. With a lot of little investors pouring their money into a phony corporation. <laughs> Either one of you guys know what Jordan's talking about? Got it, Marco. Polanski told me everything. What happens to those investors when they find out they bought into nothing? A new cotton process nobody can produce. Why ask me? Or better yet, what happens to you and Saunders? The police aren't going to like it. Let them talk to Saunders. He's on top of the deal. President, chairman. Yeah, how do you fit in? Me? I just helped out a little on the financial end. Yeah. It always works, doesn't it, Marco? Hasn't failed yet. What's your interest, Jordan? Trying to cut in? I'm giving you a chance to call it off. Well, you got the chance. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. Corporations closed. Anything else? Yeah, a lot more. Well, I don't want to hear it. Throw him out, boy. Sure, boss. Right, come on, him Junior. And don't come back, Jordan. Next time we drop you down the elevator shaft. I picked myself up and got out the back way just in case he had somebody waiting for me. Well, even though I knew the deal, Marco felt pretty safe. I figured there was more to it than what I'd worked out. When I got back to the tambourine, it was almost 7 o'clock and Cora Saunders was waiting. I haven't changed my mind, Rocky. Okay, Cora. I think Ted's ready to talk to you. You've seen him again? Yeah. Please tell me, how is he? I think Ted Polanski's going to be... All right. 
Thank you, Rocky. Cora. Yes? How well did you know your present husband before you married him? Well, I... I didn't know him so long before I married him. I met him in a summer resort where I was waiting tables. Oh, what I mean is, what did you know about him personally? All I know is he's... He's been very, very good to me and my child. He's a wonderfully kind man, Mr. Jordan. How about this, uh, this cotton deal he's in? Oh, he has great hopes for it. Evan thinks it'll make a lot of money and help a lot of people. Why do you ask, Rocky? Oh, no, no, just curious. You better go talk to Ted. What are you trying to tell me? Visiting time's 8 o'clock. Ted will be waiting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rocky, maybe you could come along. Oh, sorry, Cora, but I'm going to be real busy. I walked Cora to the front of the tambourine and saw that she got a taxi. Then I caught one for myself. I wanted to see Evan Saunders just once more before he pulled out for St. Louis. At the National Hotel, I got Saunders' room number and went on up without being announced. I found his door open. Saunders was there, pacing the floor. Oh, Mr. Jordan, come in. Yeah, that's my plan, Saunders. Where's Cora? Where's my wife, Mr. Jordan? You're real worried about Cora. Don't you? evade my question, Mr. Jordan. She went back to your cafe this evening. I have her message. she tell you where she was going from there? That's what I'm asking you. I demand to know where my wife is. Where she is at this minute, I don't know. But in another hour, she'll be at the Cairo General Hospital, talking to Ted Polanski. Mr. Jordan, I told you I don't want her to see that now man. Now tell me why. I explained that to you. I made it perfectly clear. He's hurt Cora enough. Any other reasons, Saunders? Isn't that enough? Try it my way. You don't want her to talk to Polanski because you're afraid of what he might tell her. Why he got that knife in his back, for instance. What happened to... Minds that remember things like the fact that the extortion money was marked. Those things are not accidents. Your FBI did not win its international reputation quickly or accidentally. It attained the status it now holds because it is made up of men who have dedicated their lives to public service, to the protection of every one of us, every minute, every hour, every day. just a moment, we will tell you about next week's exciting story from the files of your FBI. You know, Mr. Keating, that assured home ownership plan you were telling me about sounded mighty good to me. I'm going to find out if I can qualify. I surely hope you do, Frank, because look what you get in one package from the Equitable Society. A mortgage that's paid in full if the owner dies. If not, a cash fund to be used in financial emergencies. And mortgage interest at only 4%. No wonder it's called America's finest plan for home ownership. So don't delay. See your equitable representative soon. Or write to the Equitable Society, care of this station. That's E-Q-U-I-T-A-B-L-E. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will bring you another colorful story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Mysterious Fugitive. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. Your narrator was Dean Carlton, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. This is your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. 
This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. And inviting you to tune in again next week at the same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Mysterious Fugitive on This Is Your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting... Water. What shift is he on, Charlie? Same as me, 8 to 4. You ought to be fixing quit soon. Yeah, about 10 minutes. And you got no problem, Charlie. When he leaves to go home, I'll be falling right behind him. FBI field office. Special Agent Jim Taylor greets two old friends, police detectives Guy Baker and Tommy Grant. Hello, Guy. Hi, Jim. Oh, it's good to see you, Tommy. Thanks. Got a chair around here strong enough to hold my partner? Oh, don't start that again, Tommy. This is all muscle. <laughs> you two are still working together. <laughs> well, we got a great arrangement, too. Tommy handles the physical work, and I do the thinking. Well, here's a bullet he couldn't mastermind, Jim. We'd like it sent to your lab. Uh, sure. Where's it from? A uh, body of a man named Newbury. Was found dead just inside the front door of his apartment over on the east side. That was last night. Guy lives out those little details every once in a while. Yeah. His fellow's full name was Eric Newbery. He was a day laborer at the Adams factory. Yeah. I talked to his wife last night. He also had a little job on the side collecting for a factory bookmaker. I thought Adams cleaned house out of the factory and got rid of that gambling ring. That was last year. Freddie Jackson was head man of that ring. He's still in jail. Who's running it now? We haven't yeah. found out yet. Of course, we're not sure Newberry's murder is tied in with his being a collector. Anybody could have done this. Newberry's doorbell rang last night. He answered it. His wife heard a shot. When she got to the door, the killer was gone. Yeah, my guess would be that there's a connection. Unless Newberry was also mixed up in some labor trouble out of the factory. No, there hasn't been any of that. Mm -hmm. See, Tommy, Jim agrees with me. The murder's hooked up with the racket. Well, you have some word back on that bullet, Jim. Oh, a day or two. Fine. I'll be back. And if I can swing it, I'll come along. Well, come in, Charlie. You too, Rip. Sorry I'm late, Matt, but... Just I... sit down. Let me finish signing these letters. I'd like an explanation. About what? That killing yesterday. Well, that's what you wanted, wasn't it? Certainly not. But well, why did you send Rip? I on? told you to use him to straighten things out. Looks to me like it's straightened out. Selectors are all paying up today, aren't they, Charlie? Now listen to me, both of you. We're in business. I grant you it doesn't happen to be a legal business, but it's got to be run like one. Business and killings don't mix. Do you understand? Yeah. You, Rip? Well, I don't see no harm in what I did to the guy. If you want me to just dent him from now on, it's okay with me. All right. Now, run along, both of you. I've got work to do. Any report from the lab on that bullet, Jim? No, not yet, Tommy. Guy, is that a shiner you're sporting? Yeah. I can thank my clumsy partner for it. All I did was open my locker door. Sure, while I was bending over to tie my shoe. An old man like him ought to wear slippers anyway, shouldn't he, Jim? Now, don't put me in the middle. 
Oh, brother, I can't wait to start working alone again. Are you being transferred, Tommy? Nah, I couldn't get that much of a break. I'll tell you what the brain is talking about. We went to see Mr. Adams at the factory. When he heard about the bookmakers being in action again, he hit the ceiling. He wanted to slaughter the thing right away, but fortunately, my cool head prevailed. Mm -hmm. I convinced him that making a move now would mean we'd never find out if there was a bookmaking angle in the Newbury murder. Well, what'd he say? Giving us a week. To do everything? Yeah, everything. I complained at first, but then, as usual, I got an idea. Uh-huh. What he means is he thought of some extra work I could do. Yeah, our muscular friend here has a job at the Adams factory, starting tomorrow morning. Oh, what department? The same one Newberry worked in? Mm-hmm. Didn't I see something in this morning's paper about the Newberry funeral? Yeah, it's being held in about an hour from now. We're going down to cover it. Say, uh, any chance of you hearing from your lab before the day's out, Jim? Oh, there's no telling, Guy. I put a rush tag on it. The minute I get any word, I'll call you at headquarters. <laughs> Where's Nat? Hmm? I gotta see Nat. Where'd he go? Oh, out to lunch. Where? I wouldn't know. We better get back here soon. We've got trouble. One of mean old horse players here to parley. But this ain't funny, Rip. There's a new guy at the factory. I think he's a cop. Why? Well, he ain't on the job ten minutes before he's asking where he can get a bet down. He just sounds like a horse player. Nah, not the way he operated. Somebody pointed out my collector. He went to him. Started asking a lot of questions. Like what? Well, if he wins, will he get paid off? Who does he turn the bets into? Stuff like that. Did he get any answers? No. And what are you worried about? They planted a cop the hate on Matt should know about it. And just sit down and wait till he comes back from lunch. <sighs> and sit quiet, would you, Charlie? I want to take me a snooze. Guy, I've been waiting for you. I just got a report from the lab on that bullet that killed Newberry. We're in on this thing, too. Oh, it's nice teaming up with you again. What's the FBI angle? The bullet matched a couple in our unidentified ammunition file. Came from the same gun that was used in two murders earlier this year. Where? Both of them down south. Oh, got any details? Yeah, but there aren't very many. One of the murders took place during the holdup of a grocery. That grocer handed over all he had, $9.30, but he was killed anyway. Mm-hmm. Federal marshal in that section working on another case must have accidentally come close to a cave where the bandit was hiding out the following day. He was killed with the same gun. Any description of the killer? Yeah, some. He's tall, has dark hair, and a scar that runs from his left ear to the corner of his mouth. Yeah, I didn't think the new rig job was done by an amateur. Uh, Tommy working out at the factory? Yeah. Have you heard from him? Yeah. Thinks he's come up with a lead. I'm going to run out there this afternoon. Now look, i got some work to be done here. It shouldn't take more than an hour. I'll meet you later, and we'll go out to the factory together. <laughs> That's right. The guy's right outside. Just following me. Okay. I told him the questions you asked. Said he wanted to see you. Good. I want to see him too. There he is. The guy with the blue shirt. See you later. Hello there. Hi. Well, you've been interested in betting on horses. 
Maybe I can tell you about it. Maybe you can. Come on, I gotta get something out of the supply room. Okay. What'd you want to know about? That guy who sent me out here. Does he work for you? Yeah. That's the information you wanted, ain't it? What makes you think that? Well, aren't you a cop? Yeah. I had you pegged this morning. Just what are you doing here? Trying to get information about a man named Newberry. Newberry? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He worked here till he was shot and killed. Oh. On the side, he took bets. Well, I guess a lot of guys do that. I'm sure they do. And I'm also sure they all work for one man. Well, I don't know who that is. Feedback. back. I only have one guy working for me. You just met him. Now, excuse me, will you? I gotta get some supplies out of here. Don't bother. Why not? You're through work for the day. What do you mean? You're coming with me to headquarters. No, I ain't. <coughs> it took so long leading here, Charlie. I pretty near fell asleep. Just a minute to tonight's exciting case from the official files of the FBI. Now a special message from the Equitable Life Assurance Society to fathers and mothers of young children, to the parents of the little boys and girls who will be reaching college age 10 or 15 years from now. That's when you'll hear that youngster of yours saying, Look, Dad, here's a picture of the college campus. Boy, can't you just see me walking down that path? Your boy and girl would have three good reasons for looking forward to those four years in college. First, College men and women earn more money. Believe it or not, Dad, college grads earn $72,000 more during the years they work than the fellow who has to take a job right after high school. I read it in the paper just the other day. Second, college men land the bigger jobs. What's more, Dad, it said that out of every 16 men earning $10,000 a year and up, 15 are guys with college degrees. Third, the college man gets more out of life. Everything he learns in college can be put into practical use in later life. Art, philosophy, business training, economics, history, all will help him in his progress on the road to success. Keep that in mind, father and mother, and decide now not to leave your family's education to chance. Make sure with an equitable education fund. An equitable education fund? What's that? It's the painless way to pay for your children's college education. In this equitable society plan, you start when your children are young. Then each year, you pay a sum of money that doesn't hurt. An amount that scarcely makes a dent in your budget. When your youngster's ready for college, the money's all ready for him. That's spreading the cost of education over 10 or 15 years instead of taking a beating in four. The way to war was just a good excuse for getting away. After it was over, I just couldn't go back to you. Well, I... I guess there isn't much you can do when there's no love left. I'm just sorry it took so long for me to find this out. Well, now you know. I never felt so good as when I left you in St. Louis. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for what? I, I never realized until this moment how... how fortunate for me it was that you did leave. I see now how lucky I was to find a man like Evan. He's a strong man and an honest one. And he loves me and our child like you never could. Oh, goodbye, Dad. I don't think there's anything more we have to say. 
Goodbye, Cora. Uh, goodbye, Rocky. I won't be bothering you anymore about Ted Polanski. So long, Cora. Have a nice trip back to St. Louis. Well, Rocky, how did I do? Okay. She'll be all right now, won't she? I think so, Ted. In fact, I'm sure of it. Thanks, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> After a while, I left him. Later that night, I found out that Marco had been picked up boarding a plane at the Cairo airport. There wasn't much they could do to him about the phony cotton deal. He kept his nose pretty clean. But his knife man had talked, so they salted Marco away for the attempted murder of Ted Polanski. Before I turned in that night, I checked back on my day. Very unusual. Not a single dead body. I felt real good about it. It's CBS again at this same time next week for another story of adventure and intrigue when we take you back to Cairo and the Cafe Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. Jack Moyles plays the title role with tonight's story by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman. Rocky Jordan is produced and directed by Cliff Howell with original music by Richard Arant. Larry Thor speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> <laughs>